you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Well, howdy, everyone. Welcome back to what is the name of my podcast? It is called Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. And boy, Shag and Chris uh, Franklin have been having a lot of fun with how we say that. Um, we Today, we're going to be looking at Action Comics number 48 from, uh, I believe it's March of 1942. We'll... We'll uh, clarify that here in a little bit. And um, that's about all I got for this um, this podcast. So we're just going to have that synopsis and our Ray Saunders Vigilante Rodeo Radio again. And um, that'll be about it. Uh, today it's uh, May 24th, which if you're a Canadian, this is Victoria Day. This is a long weekend. It's been actually a snowy, rainy weekend. We always say we're never into safe into summer in this part of the world until it's the May 24th weekend. Well, it finally stopped uh, snowing on Saturday and it stopped raining yesterday. And the sun is actually out. So I'm going to just kind of put the button onto this. I've got all the pieces put together. And um, the only thing that I do have news-wise is the, uh, the Justice Society of America World War II video um, has been released, or at least I received it last weekend. If you want a review of that, I'm not going to do one. Uh, I'm just a very poor critic when it comes to movies and things like that. Um, but there's a very good one over on the Fire and Water Network. I believe they released it about a week ago here and around the weekend of May 15th or so. It's on the uh, Justice Society of America feed. Uh, I believe they call that... Uh, Justice Society of America presents and uh, my assessment of that video pretty much goes with theirs I wasn't all of that impressed I don't believe DC animation right now really knows what it's doing unless they're dealing with their top characters Superman Batman and um, I I just see more of the same going on in that uh, And I guess this is why I'm finding my comics joy in looking at older comics and uh, and listening to other podcasters and their experience with older comics as well. I'm not just trying to be that grumpy old man uh, because, quite frankly, comics is a young person's medium. It doesn't have to be, but if you're going to uh, maintain continued success, you have to go with what uh, you know your core audience thinks, and so you know they they can't keep marketing to people like me. So that's fine. Um, just like music, um, I can go back and and look at the old stuff. I don't have to sit there and play grumpy old man with what's coming out now. Um, what is coming out now and is actually slated to hit uh, May twenty fifth. I don't think I'll probably see it until the twenty sixth is this the long-awaited star girl special that's going to have a, an appearance by our friend greg saunders and um i think i'll probably do a special issue of that um it's slated to hit my comiXology it says release for tomorrow we'll see if that uh if that holds true and if if that holds true then what i'll probably do is uh do a special uh episode on that um, have its own standalone 
And I didn't want to wait and, and jam up this podcast with that. So, without further ado, I'll just hit uh, play on another uh, great uh, podcast, that pr- a promo for a podcast that has just been released. It's had its first two, uh, first two episodes, and I am very, very impressed by it. So, uh, listen to Weird Warriors here. There's something like 115,000 English language podcasts in the world, and no doubt hundreds of them are aimed at the comic book genre. There are sci-fi comic podcasts. Horror comic podcasts. War comic podcasts! But do you know what we need? Two guys crazy enough to combine those fields and make a podcast of their very own? Yes. It's the answer to a question no one asked, so that's why we are answering it. Such a gaping hole in the podcast landscape must be filled post-haste. Did you really just use the word post-haste? The Weird Warriors podcast covers the Weird War Tales comic book series published by DC Comics from 1971 to 1983. Along the way, we'll also check out other horror and war comics published by DC, Marvel, Charlton, and any other targets that may present themselves to us. I have the war books, and he has the horror books. So if you're ready to take a nice, relaxing look at the hell of war in comic book form from the age of the caveman to the distant future, then report for duty by subscribing to the Weird Warrior Podcast, brought to you by the Brothers Flea, wherever fine podcasting provisions are issued. Vampires. Aliens. Dinosaurs. Alien dinosaurs. There's something for everyone. General Sherman said war is hell, but do you know what else is? weird for our purposes yes so tune in to the weird warrior podcast today do it that's an order yes sir don't call me sir i work for a living but we're not getting paid for this Dang. well i'm max and i'm rich and we're going to be bringing you the weird warriors podcast where we will promise to make war no more well silly me in that introduction i totally ignored the uh, concept of feedback you know, the fact that I'm even getting feedback on this podcast is just amazes me. So I've just got a, f- a couple of missives, and we might as well take care of that now rather than let it all pile up. And, of course, this, uh, this one is in reference to Episode 8, Action Comics number 47 review on the Green Cowled Menace. And our first one is from Danny, uh, who uh, wrote to Vigilante Cast at gmail.com greetings ranger gord well this episode was just packed full of fun i'm glad to hear that you got your first vaccine dose stay safe and healthy i was also glad to hear of a release date for the star girl spring break special i enjoy jeff johns's early work on star girl and i look forward to seeing her joining up with the seven soldiers of victory for an adventure me too dave I enjoyed hearing about the other stories and features in this issue of action comics and it was also and it was fun as always, listening to your radio play of the Green Cowled Menace. I have to agree that at some point you'd think the villains, you would realize they should take Vidge's spurs as well as his guns, and maybe steal his motorcycle, or at least disable it when they put him in a death trap and then leave him alone. Well, as you'll hear, they're not going to learn that. Of course, your musical choices throughout the episode are spot on. I particularly loved hearing Al Hurt, Duke Ellington, and Ella Fitzgerald, and enjoyed being introduced to the last Saskatchewan pirate by Captain Tractor. 
I thank your historical notes about Bob Hope performing for service members during World War II and for decades after were interesting and informative. And that story of the night flight over Alaska was a real nail-biter, even though obviously we know Bob Hope survived it. By the way, I think your Bob Hope impression was a good one. Well, thank you there, Dave. Thank you, by the way, for adding the postcards I'd sent to your mail call segment. I hadn't expected that, so it was a delightful surprise. I'm glad you liked the cards. I often say that getting real personal mail is documentary evidence that somebody who knows you cares about you and think... And I think most people like getting such mail. And I recommend sending real mail to family and friends from time to time. Live long and prosper, Dave McIlvaney. And Dave practices what he preaches. The postcards continue to pour in, folks. And I think Dave's having a little fun with me, making uh, making it sound like he's going to... Uh, he's on the road to come visiting me. However, his uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania postmark sort of uh, <laughs> gives lie to that. But the first one is actually from <clears throat> Yellowstone Park. Greetings, Ranger Gord. My wife Beth took this fo photo of a steaming bison one cool August morning in Yellowstone. Who knows there was self-cooking? Live long and prosper, Dave McIlvaney. And it is indeed a great picture of bison, bison, bison. Uh, grazing in amongst the uh, the forested plains of Yellowstone, which is just one state away from me, down on the Wyoming-Montana border. And coming up the Bitterroot Range, uh, my next postcard from Dave says, Greetings from Montana. Uh, I hope things think will improve and maybe our borders will open up again soon. Live long and prosper, Dave McIlvaney. Uh, yes, I agree, Dave. Um, this has been ah, necessary, but getting very long-winded. And uh, I have one more email, and this one was a bit of a shocker for me, and a, and a shocker in the good way. If you don't know who Michael Bradley is, uh, Michael is a, a great podcaster in the likes of uh, documenting the Golden Age Superman, the Golden Age Batman, and the Golden Age Superman and Batman and their adventures together. And I urge you to go look for Michael Bradley's podcasts. And Michael writes, well, thanks for taking the time to listen in. Oops, sorry, I'm reading my reply. <laughs> Uh, hey, Gord, just wanted to drop a quick note about Prairie Justice. I'm so happy to see folks shining spotlight on the non-top-of-the-marquee uh, characters, especially Golden Age stories featuring those characters. As Vigilante has been around for various years, in various iterations, rather, and is one of the longest-running features in action comics other than Superman, He's a character worthy of recognition. It's clear you put a lot of time and effort into the show, and I hope you're able to keep it uh, uh, up as long as it doing it makes you happy. I'll keep listening. Best, Michael Bradley. GreatCrypton.com <coughs> Sorry, folks. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen in, Michael. I've certainly ran through all of your catalog and found all of your podcasts entertaining and informative, and I, I hope sometimes... Uh, at some point you can get back into it because uh, you do a great documentary uh, experience of the any subject that you choose to do and uh, you're a, a great inspiration to what I do.
uh, to my poor pathetic attempts. And I will do this podcast as long as it takes me, and I will get through the Action Comics run as long as that takes me. And uh, being as I'm running into my first summer as a comic book podcaster, I'll see if I'm able to uh, to keep that pace up, especially with uh, the leading comics uh, appearances uh, uh, creeping up their ugly head. Okay, that's it for feedback. So, we have Action Comics cover dated May 1942, but actually on sale on May 18th, 1942. And in something I haven't uh, done with you before, I'm going to try this right now. What has been taking place in that month of March up until the 18th? Well, the Second Battle of the Java Sea was fought between the Japanese and the British, resounding in a very resounding defeat for the British. Here's an interesting one. The German submarine U-60 fix with depth charged and sunk off Cape Race, Newfoundland by an American Lockheed Hudson. So, something in uh, not-quite-Canadian waters. Australia declares war on Thailand. Ships in the Dutch East Indies are scuttled to keep from being captured in the by the Japanese. American destroyer Pillsbury is shelled and sunk west of Christmas Island by, by Japanese cruisers. And just moving on a little bit, uh, in the Philippines, um, dugout Doug MacArthur's evacuation of the Philippines has begun, basically leaving that to Japanese occupation, but he would return. Uh, the Dutch East Indies campaign has ended in a Japanese victory, you know, occupying that area so that they've got some oil to uh, keep running wild through Asia and uh, other invasions. So it's not a, uh, a really good time for the, the Japanese. Lend-lease is, is a granted to Iran. Oh, I like this. The Canadian Women's Army Corps was integrated into the Canadian Army. U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt sent a proposal to all 48 state governors that speed limits through the nation be reduced to 40 miles an hour to conserve fuel and rubber. And that's going to come in to our story today. Uh, more German, German submarines are attacking Greece. The Belzec extermination camp became occupational in occupied Poland. And by March 17th, uh, the day before this comic arrives, Doug MacArthur arrives in Australia. And the British government announces the introduction of fuel rationing. And on today, March 18, 1942, President Roosevelt signs Executive Order 9102, ordering the creation of the War Relocation Authority, and that unfortunately would put Japanese Americans, and I mean by actually American citizens of Japanese descent, into internment. And that same thing is going on in Canada at that same time so sometimes the good guys aren't always good guys as well so back to our newsstand thanks to our magical time machine brought to us by Mike's Amazing World back to Action Comics 48 by DC uh, published 480 Lexington Avenue New York New York uh, it's a monthly comic for 10 cents 64 pages all overseen by the legendary editor Frederick at Whitney Whit Ellsworth with features um, the Superman, Vigilante, Three Aces, Mr. America, Congo Bill, and Zatera. And of course we'll be talking about the Vigilante feature primarily, but let's have a look at the other features. 
So on the cover of Action 48, we have Superman in action, and he is attacking a Japanese Zero fighter plane, which doesn't look like a Japanese Zero, because quite frankly, at this point in time, um, even the American military doesn't really know what the Zero looks like. So um, it's modified, but we know it's Japanese, of course, because of the Red Sun meatball on the wing and by the very unfortunate image of the pilot, of course, with his standard buck teeth, which are almost as big as the goggles in his helmet. And Superman is uh, smashing the engine on this uh, Nakajami Zero and uh, bending the propeller. So I believe this one is destined for the bottom of the Pacific. And we also see an Imperial Japanese navy carrier down there and uh, i have to say i i know my uh my carriers and uh this is an american depiction of an american carrier with a rising sun on it this does not look like a japanese carrier at all but uh the cover art is by fred ray who at this point seems to have been working uh for dc primarily on superman action and world's best comics uh, since March of 1941, so he's got about a year in, and uh, it's a very good piece of art, uh, a very good choice for this uh, for this cover. And of course, Superman is actually fighting the war in the Pacific, uh, despite the fact that I don't think he's heard that Roy Thomas uh, has that Grail Stone that was supposed to be keeping him from doing that. So we just can't reconcile everything with Roy's uh, retroactive continuity. And Superman's uh, story is not, does not take place in wartime, however. So I guess we can say that the covers are actual, uh, I don't know, fantasy pieces. What people would think that uh, Superman should be doing. And uh, in his story, Superman is actually fighting gangsters and seems to be... Uh, Remember we were talking about that rubber drive? Well, Superman seems to be attacking gangsters who are stealing tires. This actually looks like a pretty good story. Um, Michael Bradley, attention. Well, we just skip past the vigilante for right now. Uh, we have Captain American Fat Man fighting the Pied Piper of Doom. Oh, glad I don't have to cover that one. Um, the, the Flying Jeeps. Uh, wartime uh, cartoon. Uh, we have our, our prerequisite text piece, The Dummocks by Norman Goss. Haven't read it, not likely to. Superman's radio show covers the continent. And um, he's just putting the American uh, stations on here um, as well. Oh, sorry, sorry. We do have the Canadian stations. So, we get to keep going. Uh, we have a ad for Star Spangled Con Comics and Congo Bill seems to be also fighting with the Marines in the Pacific here as well. So uh, he's in the, oh it says right in there, somewhere in the East Indies. And uh, he is definitely fighting uh, the Jap some Japanese soldiers here. And uh, definite wartime and Zatera, the Master Magician, the case of the maddening music. So Zatera is back on the home front fighting a uh, guy with a magical fiddle. 
that might come to pass in Vigilante in the future. Spoilers! And uh, one of these great trade ads that shows you Batman, Green Lantern, Leading Comics, All-Star Comics, All-Flash, Quarterly, and Mutt and Jeff. So I guess all of their quarterly uh, appearances. And the Leading Comics one uh, is number two with the Black Star. And that tells you and tells me that that's probably going to be coming up very soon on Prairie Justice. And, kids... Uncle Sam and the U.S. Army want you to get your new Daisy Defender for only $5. Be patriotic. Buy defense stamps. Learn to shoot straight with Daisy air rifles. And, of course, you can still get the famous Red Rider. And our back cover has energy to protect your welfare. And we have uh, kids with a searchlight looking out for uh, enemy planes while they're chewing on their baby Ruth candy bars. Oh yes, kids. And everybody, wartime isn't just for adults. Okay, that's what's going on in Action Comics otherwise, and so let's move on to our Vigilante feature, because that's why we're here, aren't we? Mort Meskin, Mort Weisinger, again the Wranglers, for some reason, I have Mort Weisinger as a question mark, but I don't think uh, there's any doubt as to who is um, running this joint because uh, it pretty much seems to be uh, the same standard uh, formula that he's been using on the Vigilante feature that we've been covering up to this point. Mort does have some new interesting characterizations, and Beskin is experimenting again, so this looks to be a pretty good story. So, let's, uh, without further ado, let's hear the story of Crime's Caravan. Out of the darkness, a giant spectral image of the Vigilante looms with a very real-world lariat over top of his latest villain, a wheelchair-bound individual who is himself holding a lash, a whiplash that ensnaring classic cars and several mobsters alike. This is the lash. A deadly crackle of guns, the sibilant hiss of a venom-tipped lash and the vigilante rides for justice once more, matching western wits and weapons against the cunning of city-spawned gangsters. This time, it is a streamlined version of the most hated crime of the range that leads the ace lawman smashing through barriers of peril as he keeps from rolling in Crime's Caravan. Outside an urban parking garage, a long-haired poet seeks shelter for a jalopy as ragged as his rhymes. Coming, sir. Good friend, my limousine needs rest, and this garage I hear is best. If that's a limousine, you're Shakespeare. Looks like it deserves a permanent rest. I'll show you where to bed her down. Speaking of rest, I ain't had any for a month. Insomnia, I know a cure that never fails, it's fast and sure. 
I've tried counting sheep and... No need to count sheep. This will put you to sleep. The murderous barge shouts a summons. Augie, up here, the coast is clear. Come on, you guys. Shake says the coast is clear. Presently, the criminals roll expensive cars down the exit ramps and into huge vans. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. That's all the vans will hold. Shakes will bring another under its own power. That makes 13. 13! I don't like it! It's an unlucky number! Luck would have it, Greg Saunders, famed on the radio as the Prairie Troubadour, chooses this moment to put his sports racer away for the night. Mm-hmm. That's odd. Funny they should be moving cars in those vans. Oh, well. Who's that? Oh, that's only the Prairie Troubadour. He's harmless. The attendant isn't around. Hmm. I'll just tuck this buggy in a regular berth and... But when Greg Saunders reaches the top of the ramp, he finds... The attendant! Murder! Those tough-looking hombres with the trucks must be crooks. Auto rustlers. The scent of danger acts like a magic charm. And in a fleeting instant, the cowboy singer has assumed the identity of that dashing arch-foe of crime, the Vigilante. Rick and I learned how to deal with rustlers before I could hold a six-gun in one hand. Oh, my motorcycle. Hope there's enough gas in it. Get going, you gas-eating bronco. And as the caravan lumbers in its crooked way... Somebody's after his shakes. Shake the lead out of our gas. Kaiser Pursuit, draw pistols and shoes. Screaming lad adds to the hazard of the headlong chase. Those hombres are coming pretty close, but wait till I come within roping range. Suddenly, a curious vehicle glides into the charging lawman's path. Whoa, an invalid in a wheelchair. This means a crack up for one of us, and I guess it's up to me to take the fall. Whoops! Meanwhile, around a nearby corner, a hillside street opens miraculously. This is the slickest getaway stunt I ever seen. And an old saying comes true as the earth literally opens up and swallows the criminals. And last of all, the occupant of the troublemaking wheelchair. <laughs> Shortly, nothing in sight. I was sure they turned into here. But it's a dead-end street with no doorways large enough for those trucks, so I must have been wrong. Having baffled their dreaded enemy, the gangsters unload their loot in the basement of the abandoned factory atop the hill. See that all the cars are taken upstairs to the shop. We'll change their appearance and sell them as soon as possible. I hear, and a bite, it shall bite, as you say. Later, the lash confers with his men. That was a good night's work, men. With car prices up because of defense rationing, we'll get rich in no time. But it ain't safe, boss. I'm getting jittery. The cops are getting sore, and tonight the vigilante almost caught up with us. We ought to lay low and... So, the venom of cowardice has entered your veins. The vicious laugh crackles through the air, shattering the scrawny little thief's ear and... Well, the venom in which this leather is soaked will enable you to lie low forever. No, boys, not the poison whip. I didn't mean... Ah!
Next day, stuff the impetuous Chinatown kid, who has shared danger with the vigilante before now, asks a favor of Greg Sanders. It ain't as if I was asking for your right arm or even a front tooth, Mr. Sanders. All I want is for you to get a hold of the vigilante and put him wise that I'm ready to help him nab them auto snatches. I'll consider your request while I'm being fitted out for some new dud stuff. Wait for me here. Just sit in the back seat of my car. Wait all about the garage killing and how the killer's forward the vigilante. Hey ya, small fry. Dish me the dope while it's hot. Well, I wouldn't give for a chance at them mugs. That dude Troubadour sure is taking his time. He ain't much like the Vig. Might as well catch a little shut-up. While the Asian youth dreams of vanquishing gangsters, two of them admire the car in which he dozes. But do not notice him. Do you see what I see, Shakes? Barrelite. This one looks like the dough, eh, Shakes? It does indeed. Let's test it on the spade. Land sakes, we got company. Hey, you ain't the prairie troubadour. We don't want to riot, so make him by quiet. You're the crooks the vigilante was after. I'm gonna bundle you up and... Ow! Oh! Everything is peaceful now. Well, you've got your wish stuff. A chance at the mugs. But it looks very much as though you're going to need a lot of luck and some help before you can make the most of it. In the stronghold of the outlaws. Will my pal the vigilante gets around to you? It don't help to plug him. Why don't I just slug him? No, you fool. Didn't you hear him say he was a pal of the vigilante? And isn't the vigilante after us? We'll keep the brat as a hostage. I hereby declare you've got something there. Why didn't my honored ancestors teach me to keep my big yap shut? All I'm doing is making it twice as tough for the Vidge. Meanwhile, the Prairie Troubadour makes a disquieting discovery. I didn't want Stuff to know I was ordering a special cowboy outfit for him. What? Where's my gas buggy? You mean the snappy sports job? Why, the fresh kid in the back went to sweep and two guys got in and drove it away. I thought it was theirs. Thanks, son. Rustlers again, and I've a hunch they're the same ones I tumbled with last night. Greg Saunders disappears around a convenient corner, and in a moment, the vigilante is on the prowl again. No telling what'll happen to that hot-headed kid if I don't corral those rats in a hurry. But where to start hunting them? There's where I lost track of them. And I'm a coyotelin' coyote if this isn't Stuff's cap. The varmints must be holed up close by. From a high window, keen eyes keep watch over the street. It's the vigilante, Lash. He's looking straight this way. In that case, we'll invite him in. Make him as uncomfortable as possible. The pavement under the vigilante's feet shudders abruptly and... Huh? An earthquake? Once more, the range warrior and the cunning criminal meet face to face. Greetings, vigilante. From where I sit, I could easily snap you out of the picture with my poisoned whip. Surprised? You! So this is how you gave me the slip. I should've hogtied you last night. Be so kind as to follow me inside where we are entertaining your young friend. You will convenience us all. You can bet that supercharged wheelchair of yours that I'll follow you. 
Not a chance of catching the racing go-kart on foot. But this old elevator shaft gave me an idea. <laughs> I'll just take my little old rope and toss it up the shaft. If this works, I can beat him upstairs. An expert cast. And a knotted noose slips over a projecting beam. Makes me think of the East Indian magicians. They're supposed to be able to toss a rope into the air and climb it. But before the vigilante reaches the end of his shortcut, a knife flashes in a murderer's hand. I'll port your rope. With this, I hope. Look out, Vidge. They want you to take a tumble. Stuff's voice. Uh-oh. This looks bad. Here we go. So look out below. And it is bad. Clawing fingers barely catch the edge of a lower <coughs> floor. And straining muscles slowly lift him to safety. Now to rescue stuff from those rustlers. The rustlers, however, do not wait to be attacked. Give it to him, boys, before he starts riding us. Nice of you to save me, you trip upstairs. Oh. Only ride you boys will get is in the Black Mariah. Oh, this must be heaven. Look at all the stars. Make a poem about this, you half-baked long fellow. Ouch. I'm through. In the heat of the battle, the vigilante is unaware of the lash, coasting silently towards him. Guys like you are supposed to be tough. Isn't anybody coming back for more? I can't use the poison lash for fear of hitting one of the others, but the loaded handle will do as well for the time being. It's a good thing, Lash. Of the vidge, you might hush. Minutes later, when... Painful consciousness returns. Well, what happened? Shakes cut you off your rope, vigilante. But it was such a mean trick, I'm making him put you back on it. Your luck seems scanty, vigilante. We're hanging you, my friend, but with a difference. This way, it'll take some time for you to die. Time enough for you to reflect on your sins. And if you manage to get loose, you all drop to the cellar and bust your brains open. And now I hope you'll forgive us if we don't remain to watch you finish. We have a pressing engagement at the Grand Opera parking lot. You rats! I'm warning you right now, I'm gonna take you apart! Take it easy, Stuff. You don't want them stringing you up by the heels, too, do you? Sudden tears spring from the Chinatown kid's eyes. I, I wouldn't care if they did. If they finished you, Vidge. This is all my fault for shooting off my face. What, Baldwin? First time I ever caught you doing that. Cheer up, fella. There's a chance for us yet. If I don't lose consciousness too soon, I can cut this rope with my spurs. Are you bug house? You flatten out like a carpet when you hit bottom. But as the deadly flow of blood rushes to his head, the range rider saws doggedly at the tough lariat with his pointed spurs. Don't do it, Vidge. You ain't got a chance in a million. And finally... Vigilante, my pal. I'll get them skunks if it's the last thing I do won't bring you back. So, the previous guy that went. <laughs> now, it doesn't matter what happens to me. <laughs> Nothing will ever matter anymore. Far from being Bughouse, 
the vigilante crooks his knees and arrests his downward plunge by hooking his legs onto the ledge of the floor below. Aha! I can feel my spurs digging into the floor. That will give me the leverage to lift myself out of this shaft. Hope these spurs hold. They did. Now to get up to stuff. The vision. Oh, it's you. Gosh, and here I was writing your obituary. Hold still, stuff. I'll cut you loose with my spurs. I'll get it. Then when I untie you, boy, we'll show those rats our smoke now. But in another part of the metropolis, the thieves prepare again for limousine looting. Dressing up in these chauffeur's outfits was a smart stunt. Nobody pays attention when we wheel these luxury wagons out of the lots. Yo, and all we had to do was slog the attendants and the real chauffeurs. Safe from prying eyes, the stolen cars are loaded into vans in a nearby alley. There goes the last. Now let's roll them out fast. We'll declare a bonus all around for this haul. A growl of gears and the procession gets underway. A veil of triumph splits the air, and a lithe figure streaks towards the foremost van. Yippee! It's roundup time! Steely figures clamp on the steering wheel, and... It's a ghost! Lucky these vans are steel. The cars inside won't be hurt much. The robber's getaway is spoiled, but a ring of deadly guns menaces the man who has dared to interfere. If you ain't a ghost, is almost. Farewell, adieu, and I do mean you, vigilante. Trigger fingers grow tense, but a human bombshell forestalls the underworld firing squad. Let me at him. I got important business around here. This'll help us both to forget you putting the slug on me, chum. Oh, West, they used to string him up for rustling, but I reckon this is about as effective. The lash charges to the defense of his hirelings, and... This time I'll do what I should have done in the first place. I was hoping you and I would meet again, partner. It's a duel between Lash versus Lariat. And Lariat wins! Your fangs away, you sidewinding diamond back. Then... You still look dangerous. Maybe we ought to stake you down. Put your brand on him, cowboy. I've still got a surprise for you, vigilante. The Lash lunges out of his wheelchair and... I used to be a champion runner. That wheelchair was only a trick to fool the cops if they ever chased us. I never won any medals for fast footwork, but... I won a trunk full <laughs> for bulldog and steers. Shortly, the police arrive, and the roundup of Big Town Rustlers is completed. You're getting a free ride in a Black Mariah. Get going. You too, Shakes. This sorry tale now ends in jail. Later. You know, Shakes and his poetry got me going. How's this? Stone walls may not a prison make, nor iron bars a cage. But they'll restrain those rustlers till they reach a ripe old age. Corny. I've heard the prairie troubadour gets a better patter and with music. The end.
Well, since in this episode we seem to have been uh, talking about hot cars, I thought a great uh, song for Greg Saunders' Rodeo Radio would be the story of the hot lod Lincoln. Well, that's a song that goes back to 1955, written by Charlie Ryan, and it was apparently an answer song to uh, Archie Shibley's 1950 hit Hot Rod Race, which is not n- n- was nearly as well known as this song. And uh, describes a race in San Pedro, Los Angeles, between two hot rod cars, a Ford and a Mercury, and a kid in a hopped-up Model A. And Hot Rod Lincoln is sung from the perspective of the third driver. There's a Ford Model A with a Lincoln V12 overdrive and a four-barrel carburetor. Well, they're going to tell you all about that. This song has had a lot of variations over the years. Um, One of the uh, best-known ones was Johnny Bond in 1960 on Republic Records. But arguably the best-known version was done in 1971 by Commander Cody and his Lost Planet Airmen. And that went uh, across many charts as a novelty song into pop country and is often gets a lot of play these days on several formats, including your classic radios um, sort of a, a formats. And Asleep at the Wheel also has a version of that. And Asleep at the Wheel is a band we need to talk about more on on uh, Rodeo Radio. Um now, in the 1990s, one of the original guitarists on the Commander Cody version, Bill Kirchin, formed his own band, uh, the Twang Bangers, and also under his own name as, as Bill Kirchin. And uh, that's the version I'm going to give you today is the Twang Bangers version. And you can, if you really want to get an appreciation of this, look up Bill Kirchin and uh, watch him do this live on uh, on YouTube, and you'll really get an appreciation. It's a lot. This one's a little bit longer than your usual version of the Commander Cody. Cody, but it uh, does. Uh, give you some interesting comedic bits and some very interesting guitar licks from Mr. Kirchin. Okay, got your seatbelts on? Well, of course you don't. It's the 1950s. Start her up. I'm happy said, son, you're gonna drive me to drinking if you won't quit driving that old hot rod link. Story of the hot rod race with the Fords and the Mercers at the base. Story's true, I'm here to say, cause I was driving that Model A. And had a Model A body made it look like a pup with a Lincoln motor that was really souped up. Eight cylinders used them all, had overdrive, and it just won't stop. It had four living gears, a dual exhaust with a four barrel car, you can really get lost. Safety do some man, I ain't scared. The brakes are good, tires fair. I pulled out of San Pedro late one night. Moon and the stars shining bright I was climbing up the grapevine hill Passing cars again was standing still Cadillac sedan passed me by. Remark was made, that's a car for me. But then the taillight was always. Now the fellas all read me for being behind. I said, man, I better make my licking unwind. So I took my foot off the gas and, man alive, I shoved it down into overdrive. Well, I wound it up to 110. The spopper said I'd hit top end. My foot was glued like lead to the floor. That's all there is. There ain't no more. 
Now Dallas here said I lost my sense at the telephone poles of like a picket fence. He said, slow down, Billy, I see spot lines in the road look just like that. I took a corner side swipe the truck, crossed my fingers just for luck. Fenders clicking on the guardrail post of Jack O'Dell, white as a ghost. Started again on the Cadillac. I knew I could catch him. Hoped I could pass. You know, by then I'd be low on gas. Flame was shooting from out of the side. You could feel the tension. Man, what a ride. I said, boys, I got a license to fly. The caddy pulled over. Let me buy a semi truck. The, uh, let's see. Edmund Fitzgerald. VW bus full of hippies. Who should pull over and let me buy a Johnny Cash? In all the rebel rock. Roy Orbison, he let me by. Johnny River, Marty Robbins, Buck Owens, and the Buckaroo. Merle Travis. Merle Haggard with Red Volkert on guitar. Red taught me this lick. Sorry, Red, I'll get it next time. Bob Will. Formerly known as Nick Lowe's ex-grandmother-in-law. Mother Maybell Clark. Let's keep going. Jamerson pulled over. 
I gotta take a nap after that song. 
Maybe I'll just settle in with a good comic here. Okay, we're into our vigilante feature by the immortal Mort Morton. And we know who that is. That's the, uh, that's the fusion of Mort Meskin and Mort Weisinger. But no junior. Hmm. Well, I think Morton's really pulling all the stops out on this, uh, especially according to this splash page here. We've got a very, as I said in the intro, a spectral-looking vigilante. Uh, he's all colored in a very, very pale blue, like a pale rider. And he's got his lasso over top of a man in a wheelchair who has a whiplash around a bunch of cars, which are state-of-the-art as part of 1941. And I think Meskin's really doing his job on, uh, on referencing here. I, I see Ford Chevys, and I believe that uh, Greg himself is going to be in a 1941 Cadillac later. So it's really nice to see that sort of accuracy. Um, sometimes uh, artists don't put that kind of work, especially in the 1940s and even into the 1970s, into what a car should look like. And this man in the wheelchair, well, this is obviously going to be our villain, the Lash. So, do we have a progenitor for Professor X, or the chief from Doom Patrol? He's obviously an older man. He actually reminds me of pictures I've seen of an older E. Nelson Bridwell. Glasses and very short hair, uh, but a very powerful man. And the, uh, the wheelchair he's in, although we will see later on that it is powered... It's uh, sort of modeled on the older styles with the very high backs, and you'll see them in museums. I think I have three in mine, now that I think about it. Uh, it's a very powerful splash. Uh, it definitely would entice me to, uh, to move further into, into the story. Now, page uh, two, as it were, is a little bit different grid system. Most of your Golden Age comics, and even up into the 50s, are based on a nine page nine panel grid rather and then you get variations going off from there well i won't say that morton's not going to use the nine panel system here but here he's using a 12 panel system uh, the page itself actually i believe has 11 panels but you know what i'm saying it's it looks almost more like a sunday funny sort of uh arrangement and uh, I don't know why Mort's doing this. I think he just uh, feels he's got more story than he's got pages. And we know that Morton has been shrunk down from 13 to 12 pages. So maybe this is his silent protest. Uh, you're not going to give me a page? Well, I'm going to cram more into it. So it's very, very interesting. And it does make the story flow better. It's an interesting um, storytelling style. And we have this character, the, the Shakespeare, who uh, is named by the parking lot attendant that Shakespeare later uh, shoots. And everything he says in is, is in a rhyme. And I have to say, it's, they're not very good rhymes. But uh, he keeps up the bit, at least. He's kind of sort of a jaunty guy. And I sort of was thinking of Michael Caine as, as uh, Alfred in Batman, you know, leaving the... One day... I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. 
and uh, we do actually see Greg Saunders very early. Uh, in most of these stories, we haven't seen Greg or the Vigilante show up until about page three. We get more exposition with the villains than we, we do of Greg. But, uh, and he appears as Greg, even though he could very easily be identified as Vigilante because he's wearing the same color shirts, everything else. I think really all he has to do here is pull up his kerchief and away he goes, put on his gun belt. And he pulls up in a Cadillac. He basically wanders right into the crime. Of course, this has uh, been a while since we've seen the identity of Greg. And ev he must be quite the star because everybody recognizes him as the Prairie Troubadour. And in fact, they don't pay much attention to him at all. And But in the next page, when uh, Greg realizes the attendant has been murdered, well, and the gun belts come on. And, of course, Greg is in his own vehicle at this point in time, so he must have finally cashed in some railroad, or railroad, some royalty checks from his uh, recording. And in this parking lot, he's also keeping his motorbike that we had just been introduced here a couple of issues ago. So Greg is definitely a long ways past his uh, running around New York City in his uh, boots and spurs. But uh, Greg still isn't very good uh, at this uh, at, at this motorcycling thing. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, as a kid, I was uh, a bit of a motorcycle enthusiast for myself. And quite frankly, I don't want anybody anywhere near them right now because I remember a lot of the wrecks I used to get into. And uh, he hits a fire plug in order to avoid a man in a wheelchair. And of course, we know from the splash page who that is. Greg doesn't know. The cars disappear into a parking garage, down into a, a ramp, underground parking thing, and uh, the lash whizzes his wheelchair down there as well. And uh, beneath the ground, we find a chop shop. And I like what uh, the lash says here. Um, but what really says it all here is, that was a good night's work, man, with car prices up because of defense ratcheting. We'll get rich in no time. So what we have here, we're not into a wartime story. We are definitely into a wartime set story on the home front. As, uh, as America ramps up its war production, uh, the big car manufacturers are switching their abilities to, uh, to, to, to sell car, to build and sell cars into defense manufacturing so they're building tanks planes jeeps that sort of thing and um, the lash correctly realizes that of course uh, anytime you have this you're going to have to start to have a, a market for cars i mean if, if cars aren't being produced um, you know the the laws of capitalism and laws of supply and demand say that the demand is going to go up and uh, as we learned in our, our intro, of course, we do have rationing on rubber and we do have rationing on gasoline as well. And everybody's being urged to do 40 miles an hour. Um, I have here in my desk drawer some rationing books um, from aunts and uncles where you, uh, if you wanted to buy a tire or if you wanted to buy uh, more than a meat, you had to get this stamped and if you ran out of stamps for that uh, particular book for that period of time in that month well too bad you're not buying any tires you're not buying meat you're not buying gasoline because it's all being rationed for war effort and I just wanted to go into that a little bit 
to give you a little context, during the war, Franklin Roosevelt set ambitious production goals to fulfill. The early 1940s were set to have 60,000 aircraft, increasing to 125,000 aircraft in 1943. Can you just imagine that? 125,000 warplanes, bombers, fighters, fighter bombers. And, um, and various other aircraft as well. In addition, targets for the production of 120,000 tanks and another 55,000 aircraft were set during the same time period. The Ford Company in Michigan built one motor car every 69 seconds, but every one of those was dedicated to the effort. Ford's production contributed to America's total production of vehicles totaling 3 million in 1941. And that means trucks, staff cars, jeeps, that sort of a thing. American production numbers, of course, caused the U.S. employed workforce to increase massively. Yearly production exceeded Japan's production, building more planes in 1944 than Japan built in all the war years combined. So... You know, we beat them on the battlefield, and they were beat at the factory as floor as well. As a result, 50% of the world's war protection came from America, the United States. The government paid for this production, of course, using techniques of selling war bonds. We see that a lot in comics. Uh, to financial institutions, rationing household items, and creating more tax revenues. Some contribution to the U.S. wartime manufacturing boom is ascribed to the prior creation of the Alcoa aluminum plant in the 1930s. And you remember some of our first vigilante stories? Um, they were about criminals trying to take control of aluminum mines. Uh, the Alcoa plant prepared thousands of tons of aluminum used for the production of 304,000 airplanes during the war. And the U.S. quickly adjusted those levels of production required to equip its military with the millions of war products used during the World War II. And, of course, they're producing for Britain, they're producing for the Soviet Union, and they're producing for the in, um, virtually for the entire Allied effort as well. And remember, I'm just talking about vehicles. I haven't been talking about munitions or weapons or anything like that. Um, now, with that... Uh, as we says came high employment you know from the the record low unemployments in the great depression uh, up to a one percent unemployment rate in other words 99 percent of the united states um, was in a job either fighting the war or fighting to assist um, with the war and everything thrown during the effort and you know we think now with the coronavirus with the money that's going toward that you know if we even uh, gave that kind of support to the medical community and I, th I truly believe that uh, the majority of the population is though there are a lot of uh, very vocal intransigence that we could have beat this virus very long ago but, uh, but I'm getting off point here now if you want a good now, a lot of these are dry statistics, and of course, you can find these just about anywhere on the internet. But I always think a good book to go into if you really want to learn about automotive production during the war is a great book that just came out very recently. It's called The Original Jeeps, and it's by MFM Publishing in Los Angeles, and the author is Paul R. Bruno. 
Um, I think you can probably, you, or my American listeners can probably find it a lot cheaper. I buy a lot of books, and uh, I found it just as uh, cost-effective for importation and higher costs here in Canada to just buy the digital. So I'm looking at it on my iPad now, and uh, Bruno just does a fantastic job of going through the history of the Jeep and uh, its many manufacturers. Of course, the Jeep now is a uh, is a staple on the road, uh, made by the Chrysler and Dodge Company. Uh, but the Jeep over the years, at least the wartime Jeep that we think of in the movies, uh, came out of Ford, it came out of General Motors, and it came out of the Willys Overland Company as well. So it was less a trade name than it was a style that the U.S. government um, asked the manufacturers to work with. So, And that'll get me off of uh, wartime production and back to our story. Now by page four here, Meskin is morphing his uh, style. He has only six panels on this, but he's still got the... Uh, the 12-panel um, sort of arrangements. He's only using half the panels. And, and that's the great thing about Miskin. He just plays with the panels, you know. If I want to show an, a full panel across a spread, I show a full panel. If I want to show a quarter page, he shows a quarter page. If you want to break up the quarter page, and so often a circle and sometimes little corner boxes where you can get your exposition that your narrator uh, offers you. Uh, page 5... We meet Stuff again. Remember most of our stories we're meeting Stuff early and, and Greg later. Well, we're meeting Stuff a lot later. And uh, Stuff's got uh, probably a little less to do in this, in here. And we meet him uh, meeting up with Greg as Greg's heading into a clothing shop to get himself some cowboy duds. Uh, but what Greg hasn't told Stuff is that he's going to get a cowboy outfit for him ordered as well. And, and he wants, naturally it's a surprise, so he wants Greg to stay outside and he can have a nap inside what is very clearly a 1941 purple Cadillac. I could only imagine that that was probably uh, in the day uh, as a Cadillac. You know, everybody um, you know, salivated to have a Cadillac and to have it in, a, in an off-breed color like purple when everything is, uh, we're coming out of the Depression when everything has been Model T black. And then we're going into uh, wartime green. I would imagine that really sticks out. And uh, it certainly sticks out as stuff goes to sleep in the back seat. And Shakespeare and Augie, the, the auto thieves, think that this is a, probably an, a nice addition to their chop shop. And of course they jump in. Stuff pops out. Uh, Augie hits him with the blackjack. And knocks him out. And we're back to the underground chop shop again. Meanwhile, uh, Greg Saunders has come out and he's wearing uh, um, the most high-heeled cowboy boots you'll probably ever see him in. Very, very Hollywood cowboy sort of a thing. And he's wearing a set of Angora shaps. If you know what an Angora rap, rabbit is, well, that's sort of what it is. They're white as can be. They're actually made out of sheepskin. And... Uh, despite the uh, the Hollywood cowboy look to these, there was a use for Angora shops, shops, particularly up on the northern range where I live. Uh, you know, Montana, the Dakotas, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and into the British Columbia where you get a lot uh, lower temperatures, you know, through the winter months. 
and it would help to keep your legs warm whereas uh, you would never wear these down in the southwest or really anywhere uh, south of wyoming but he doesn't have these shops on very long the newspaper clues him in as to uh that stuff has been uh, taken away by these chop shop guys and of course greg uh, follows along he's back on foot no no cadillac no motorcycle and he feels what he thinks is in an earthquake but the earth does move but it does reveal a ramp where Vidge is greeted by the lash and he tries to keep up with the lash because he's got a motorized wheelchair that goes putt 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 I, I just use the electric uh, wheelchair uh, sound in my uh, my radio drama so that we wouldn't get get it all over top of the uh, dialogue and uh greg can't keep up with him this is uh probably a good 40 mile an hour this uh that the lash is doing in his wheelchair so he heads into the elevator shaft and he does one thing that uh, okay i will always believe greg saunders can do a lot of things but he is throwing his lariat straight up the elevator shaft now a cowboy and a lariat can do some very miraculous things you know they can rope a calf or a steer off of a moving horse or a motorcycle that sort of a thing but uh you know he's throwing this thing up about 30 feet you know and for, first of all most lariats if they're not going to be too bulky on him is aren't much more than 30 feet and for him to throw this vertically up well Vigia must have been learning a few things from uh, Zatara, which uh, Vidge does allude to when he thinks uh, when he talks about climbing this rope after he secured it. Makes me think of the East Indian magicians. So that's one thing I do like about Greg. He tends to learn. He tends to really uh, look at what other th other people do, and uh, he he's learned a few magicians' tricks out of this. And this isn't good because along comes Shakespeare, who very lyrically cuts his rope, sends him down the shaft, and uh, Vidge is scared. He, oh, oh, this looks bad. As he's doing this, he hears Stuff's voice and know that his Stuff has been become his uh, his boy hostage. And Vidge managed to grab the edge of a lower floor. Now, <laughs> that's this is pretty good. Uh, Good stunt work. And then, of course, they have the prerequisite fight. Along comes uh, the Lash, who uses the end of his whip, not his actual whip, because he doesn't want to waste his poison on the vigilante. Or he does, more appropriately, he doesn't want to hurt any of his men with the poison Lash, which is really interesting, because a few panels back, he's actually killed one of his henchmen with the Lash intentionally. But uh, guy in a wheelchair, you know, he can't afford to lose his good men. And then we get the prerequisite death trap. Um, Vidge has been hung down the elevator shaft by his boots. And of course, what do we do? We go away. I'm going to place him in an easily escapable situation involving an overly elaborate and exotic death. Brings me to mind of Dr. Evil in uh, Austin Powers he goes now I'm going to set this death trap and then we're going to leave and assume that you died 
And this has happened in every vigilante story that we have been in. So Mort keeps recycling this trope and finding new ways to do it. Oh, and I should mention uh, Dave McIlvaney, they didn't take away his spurs. No, again, they did not take away his spurs. Imagine all you'd have had to do was just take away his boots and Vidya would have been sunk here. So how do you think he's going to get out of this? That's right, the Spurs. But while this is going on, um, he's just a few feet away from stuff. There's something that he can hear stuff going into a little bit of a soliloquy. Stuff is tied to a hoopback chair, and he starts to lose it. And I mean lose it. He starts to cry. We've never seen this from stuff. We've seen him get cranky. We've seen him get hot-headed. We've seen him be... Um, you know, beat up criminals with jujitsu. But uh, at the end of the day, he's still an immature youth, and uh, the thought that his pal, the vigilante, is probably going to meet his end in this death trap um, sort of gets to him, and he's putting on the waterworks, for which vigilante doesn't really have much time for. And there's no crying in vigilante comic stuff. Well, of course, we're back to the spurs. Vigilante uh, starts to cut the rope, his own rope, with his spurs. But uh, he's going to fall down this elevator shaft, probably break his neck. At, but, but I mentioned the spurs. He's got spurs on. So he digs the spurs into the side of uh, what appears to be an elevator door. And it must be a very, very thin elevator door for his spurs to actually be digging into. Couldn't be metal by any chance, or iron, or aluminum, or anything like that. And he just does catch himself with the spurs. Manages to uh, haul himself back up. Runs up the stairs, and of course, uh, Stuff is very happy that his... Uh, his friend hasn't uh, died, and Vidge uses those spurs a third time because his hands are still bound to cut stuff out of the chair, and of course they, uh, they free each other. And now we're into the action. As Stuff says, We'll show those rats our smoke now. So Stuff's over the soap opera. And we get the prerequisite. They're stealing more cars. And Vidge jumps in and uh, grabs Augie's truck by the uh, by the wheel, and of course Augie says, "It's a ghost." Oh, criminals here in New York! You're such a cowardly, superstitious lot. Every time you th you think that you've got somebody in a death trap and they they don't die, you think that they've come back to life as ghosts. And stuff gets in. Uh, a few jujitsu chops here, not not more less than his usual. He's got a little less to do, and uh, Vidge gets in a few socks too as well. Oh, and I should mention the Black Mariah. Vigilante has said this one more than one, a couple of times. He's talking about uh, sending these criminals off, getting the Black Mariah for them, and after they're captured. The uh, policeman also says you're getting a free ride to Black Mariah. And, of course, that's uh, sort of the Irish cop's word for a paddy wagon. 
and as we get the duel between the lash and the and vigilante's rope lash versus lariat oh yeah good old indiana jones type thing but uh, instead of just uh, pulling out his gun and uh, and shooting the lash, uh, Vidge grabs the stock of the whip and pulls it back towards him. So the lash wins, or the lariat wins against the lash. And as far as the lash character himself, he whizzes away. And then he uh, pulls a surprise and turns out he's a Guy Caballero character from SCTV. He doesn't need that wheelchair. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Guy Caballero. Caballero's the name. Owning SCTV's the game. <laughs> I'm owner and president. Don't you ever forget it. Why do I have the wheelchair? Respect. And he tells everybody that he's an Olympic runner. Well, he must have been an Olympic runner in the 1896 uh, Athens Olympics because <laughs> he's not very good at it. And Vidge uh, tackles him, calling it bulldogging for steers. Now, as we end, uh, Vigilante is recalling his uh, work with Shakespeare, Shakespeare the car thief, and he pulls into his own bit of poetry, which stuff is not very sympathetic about, and he goes, nah, the Perry Troubadour is much better than that, and with music. Believe it or not, folks, at this point in time, stuff does not realize that the Vigilante and the Gay Saunders are the same. They're wearing the same shirt, They're wear he's wearing the same hat, and he's wearing a red handkerchief just pulled up over his nose. Stuff has not figured this out. Oh, he has not had to have the wisdom of his ancestors. So in this story, I noted a couple of things. Greg, again, does not sing. We don't see him on his quote-unquote job. Uh, but he does seem to be pulling in enough residuals, so he, perhaps he's been shopping for caddies. He also never seems to pull out his six-shooters anymore. I can't remember the last time we saw him actually fire a weapon. And in fact, we haven't seen the bad guys pull much for weapons here at all. Uh, we did see the uh, Shakespeare shoot the, the parking lot attendant. And we got a little burst of uh, machine gun fire, but that was really about it. Nobody's been pulling any guns. So I kind of wonder if that doesn't have something to do with perhaps their advisory council that they talk about in the uh, inside cover of Action Comics. I mean, we're a long way away from Frederick Wortham or any of that stuff, but uh, maybe perhaps because of the war and things like that, uh, perhaps they're being advised to... Uh, you know, cool it on the guns when we're on the home front or when we're in the home city. You know, that, that could have been a good reason for that. I don't know. We'll see as uh, as we go on through uh, uh, our further vigilante adventures. You know, we just when the six-shooter actually becomes a weapon. He seems to use the lariat and as we see the spurs a lot more than, than anything. And speaking of the bad guys, what do you think of the lash? This guy's a, a guy in a suit, in a wheelchair, with a whip. Interesting idea for a villain. Very interesting. And, uh, you know, I've, I actually own a couple of bullwhips. And uh, I know enough about them to hit myself with them. Um, I can't do any Indiana Jones tricks with them. But uh, I've been known to be able to crack it now and then. It takes a lot of strength. So I do believe one thing about the whip. 
uh, despite his fact his claim to be an Olympic Olympian, I believe he does have a lot of upper body strength to be able to to wield that whip with any effectiveness at all. Because it does uh, take a bit of a shoulder strength and a bit of elbow strength and a little bit of dexterity to actually be effective with one of those things and not be hitting yourself all the time. Maybe that's why he wears the glasses. At any rate, I think he's very interesting. And, you know, we're a long ways away from the, the chief or the Doom Patrol or the or Professor X, but uh, here's a villain in a wheelchair. who, Like Guy Cavallaro, I don't really need it. I need it for respect. Now, maybe I was a little bit hard on stuff. Um, after all, he's just a kid. You know, he's here on adventures, and despite the, the guff that he can give, um, you know, he, he's emotionally got, got some issues. And what, well, what I do like to further see is he, we haven't talked anything at all about his, uh, his Asian uh, heritage much other than talking about his ancestors. But there is absolutely no bit of stereotyping within stuff at all. So I think he's just an average kid who's just kind of learning his way into being a sidekick. And let's face it, Greg is probably learning how to be a bit of a father figure as well himself. Also, um, one thing I, I realized that they kind of got a way of, they started with the story in that equating the, uh, the auto thefts with cattle rustling. And of course, uh, that, that got uh, Greg stirred up probably more than anything. Not so much they were stealing his car or anybody else's cars, but just that, uh, you know, the whole violation of stealing someone else's personal property is something he grew up in helping his, uh, his father, the sheriff, back in Wyoming. When the, the biggest crimes that probably happened were horse and cattle thefts. And we talked about that, I believe, in uh, our first edition. Um, you know, uh, let's face it, uh, the, the ranchers are in that business. That's their property. And it's the same thing with someone that owns a... A car as well. I don't know if any of you have ever had a car stolen. I personally never have, but uh, let's face it, you lose it, it's a financial hardship. And just like leaving you with a horse in the prairie where without any uh, means of transportation, you know, especially during the war, um, stealing your car, it's not just a matter of calling up your insurance agency and getting a new one. The market is high and you might not be able to get a replacement at that point in time. So I think it's very interesting that we're talking about auto rustling at this point in time. And it put me to mind of, uh, of a character who's very, very similar to the Vigilante on television. And you might remember the mystery movie character, McLeod, Sam McLeod. Like the Vigilante, he's a, uh, a Western character. He's actually a marshal from New Mexico who goes to New York City uh, to learn new techniques and gets into all sorts of misadventures as a fish out of water. And uh, one episode I remember called the Park Avenue Rustlers did deal with McLeod tracking down an auto theft ring and had a very, uh, ended with a very memorable helicopter chase in which Dennis Weaver playing Sam McLeod hung from the skids of a helicopter in mid-flight over top of uh, New York City, right am in amongst all of the high buildings. So that was just uh, something that occurred to me as we uh, were going through this edition of The Vigilante. So that's it. Action 48, 
Crimes Caravan. So the next we he you hear me, we'll be talking, um, God willing and the creek don't rise, about the Stargirl Summer Special. And we hope that the Vigilante has a good role in it, as do the rest of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. And after that is coming up the Leading Comics number 2, our coverage of that, uh, with the villain Blackstar. And uh, I'll be doing that a little bit differently. I'll be doing that in chapters, but I'm not going to be releasing any of them until I have, actually have each chapter done. So... Uh, We'll wait until I have the entire series complete, and then I'll release the chapters uh, periodically, perhaps uh, one day apart. But uh, as I said, we're getting into spring, we're getting into summer. I'm on the road a lot, and recording happens only when it happens. And uh, only because of uh, we happen to have a snowstorm t this weekend did I actually get this one done. So, goodbye everybody. And we'll talk to you down later, later and see you down the Vigilante's War Trail. In the corner of a dark bar room Said a low cowboy singing western tune Singing songs that he learned as a child all about the west back when it was wild. Well, so long, partners. You've been listening to Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. All materials used in Prairie Justice are believed to be of fair use and remain the copyright of all copyright holders. Stories, images, and the character of Greg Saunders, the Vigilante, and all other characters used are the property of DC Comics and DC Entertainment. Feedback for Prairie Justice can be left on Facebook under the name Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. Email, you can go to vigilantecast at gmail.com. Website is www.rangergordsroundup, all one word, at .wordpress.com. And we sure hope to see you all back again for another ride with the Cowboy Crusader. Vaya con Dios, compadres, eh? Cause he's the last of the same.